Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian usually talks to a relationship therapist about all things gender, sex, dating related in the modern world. Unfortunately, it's just the comedian today. Eliza isn't feeling well. Send us some messages of goodwill. Uh, I think this episode I will be doing an Ask Me Anything. So I've received quite a lot of questions from Instagram. And next episode, I might do a part two of that as well. Or I might be back with Eliza, but definitely in two weeks, I'll be back with Eliza. So thank you for the questions so far. Before we get into them, this podcast is sponsored by Crush Organic CBD Oil. They've got the best range of CBD oil products all across the world. I've been using the platinum oil, the diamond oil, the gummies, all of it. I love it all. So go to crushorganics.com. That's Crush Organics with a K. Use the code Neil for 40% off. They're fabulous. Everyone would be better off. Everyone, the world would have no wars if everyone just got themselves a bit of Crush Organic CBD oil and, of course, used my code. And we uh, also have questions, shout-outs, and topics available. Go to neilkohacker.com slash podcasts. I have shows coming up. Melbourne this Sunday, still a few tickets available. Comics Lounge, North Melbourne, come along to that. Uh, there's uh, an array of wonderful comedic guests We've got Annie Louie, we've got uh, Ashley Fieldsame, Blake Pavey, the guy from TikTok, he's fantastic, he's hilarious, and of course myself, Dan, and Max, so come along to that. There's also a Newcastle show on sale now, March 20th, and of course, Sydney every week. So, let's just get straight into some of these questions. For the first ever Sex Sales, Neil, ask me anything. All right, we've got one here. Do you see yourself getting married? I don't know. At this stage, uh, I think being 27, I definitely don't see myself getting married in the next three years. But uh, you never know. A couple of years ago, I was definitely uh, against the idea of modern marriage altogether. Uh, I'm not sure now. Uh, I was talking to my girlfriend a couple of weeks ago and I thought, wouldn't it be nice if you settled down with someone, maybe you bought a house, you, you had kids, and then maybe when the kids were five or six-ish, then you got married because then you'd, you'd gone through the tough period and you realized, hey, we just got through a bunch of raising a bunch of babies. Now we should get married. Now we can be together for the, for the next 40 to 50 years. Whereas if you get married early, it's all, uh, it's all glitz and glamour and wonderful. Everyone has their special day and then it, ooh, it just goes downhill from there. When I say downhill, it's all work after that. Whereas I feel like if marriage is a bit of a reward for five years of hard work, that's a nice thing to look forward to as well. So uh, I'm going to actually uh, change the Western idea of marriage where it's more of a, uh, a hurdle that you've overcome and a reward for that as opposed to just uh, a symbol of love and commitment. But who knows? Okay. Uh, hmm. Would you date an Aboriginal woman? Well, I don't see why not. Uh, I don't really care about race. I care about uh, intellect and sense of humor. So, sure. Tell us how you lost your virginity. All right, it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, as I'm sure a lot of you know from this podcast, I was very awkward and unsuccessful with dating in my uh, teenage years, even in my early adolescence. And uh, I was 19. I was very insecure about being a virgin. All my friends had lost their virginity and I was yet to uh, undertake that uh, activity. And actually, Australian Two Minutes had just come out. So look, if it wasn't for going viral online, I might still be a virgin. And a uh, 
a woman at a comedy show recognized me from the video, I think the day after it came out. Um, and she was talking to me afterwards. I was very awkward and shy. She was, she was very attractive. And then uh, nothing really happened from there. But then on Thursday, that same girl came to another show I was doing. And then we chatted a bit more afterwards. I was a couple of drinks in. And she invited me to a party she was having that Saturday. And I went along. And then she basically took the lead. I mean, and, and thank God for that. I had no idea what I was doing. I was so anxious, so nervous. Uh, she was 22, actually. I was 19 and went back to her place. And, you know, it was all a bit awkward. I didn't really know what I was doing, man. I was, uh, I was very much into it. And I think at one point during the foreplay, she even asked, are you a virgin? And I was like, oh, no. And I'm pretty sure it was obvious that I was. But yeah, that's how I lost it. Finally, got it, got it done. And I, I actually, I, I spoke to her about a year or two later and she thought I was either gay or a virgin. And she was correct. So very embarrassing first time. But uh, you know what? We've all had that. Well, a lot of us have. I doubt many people just get straight into it and, um, you know, superstars from the get-go. Maybe some, maybe Johnny Sins was. I don't know. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. How to figure out long-term sexual compatibility early on, i.e. differing sex drives post-honeymoon period? That's a really good question, and that's probably something uh, Eliza would be better equipped to answer. Because... The sex drive definitely changes throughout the relationship. That's the that's the thing where you, you know it'd be it'd be hard to establish something consistent early on. And as as he's rightfully pointed out, after the honeymoon period, it wanes a lot, and that's where a lot of problems come from. So I think you actually have to wait till after the honeymoon period and then ascertain, okay, what's our sex drive like now that we're not madly romantically in love with each other anymore and maybe come to some sort of compromise look compromising with sex is always hard because you know there's definitely ethical issues there if someone has a higher sex drive than someone else and you say hey let's meet in the middle then we'll the person with the lower sex drive is doing things they maybe don't want to do but i think for the sake of the relationship they should at least try to do something like that but look i think always just be honest open about it. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, you're, I would like more sex. And if a partner says that, uh, within reason, obviously, if they're saying, hey, I want it three times a day or something like that, pretty unreasonable. But well, for, for, for many, maybe for some, but I uh, then think if you're asked that question, that's a, that's a, that would be a very confronting question to, to, to hear or a sort of a confronting statement but I think you still have to I don't know that's a tough one that is a tough one you should be talking about intimacy more than sex I think if you if you establish it by say if you if you want more sex in a relationship I would guess broaching it in the sense of hey I would like us to prioritize intimacy more in our relationship I think that's what our favorite uh Esther Perel said in mating in captivity it's not necessarily about prioritizing and organizing sex every week or every couple of days, but prioritizing uh, a time for intimacy. And then if sex develops, that's great, but you need to be having non-sexual intimacy as well as sexual intimacy. That's better for everyone. Okay, but again, that 
Eliza, if you're listening to this, comment with uh, the expert answer. Do you want to start a family? If so, how big do you want it to be? Again, I'm not too sure yet. Uh, I'm still figure, figuring things out. I, 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 I think I'm leaning towards definitely wanting a family now. And if I'm going to have a family, I, I, I'd want it to be, um, you know, at least two or three children. So I would lean towards yes. But again, in the next three to four years, I am not really too fussed about that. And this is something I'll probably start really thinking about in my early 30s, definitely by mid 30s. So yes, but it's not something at the forefront of my mind just yet. Uh, If a partner said they wouldn't do that one thing that gets you off, how would you react? We actually answered a subscriber question about this a couple of weeks ago. And that one was a bit more complex because someone had established at the start of the relationship, this is what I'm into, and they were willing to compromise eventually down the track, but then that person reneged on compromising. And I I, uh, would have been frustrated in that situation. But if we're talking about there's hypothetically, there's one particular sexual act that gets you off and a partner said they're not willing to do that, this is very contextual. It depends on the act. But I think if you're, if you're only getting off through one unique sexual act, I think you have to be a bit forgiving and willing to compromise, especially if it's a very obscure or niche sexual act. So I would react maturely as much as possible and have a conversation about it. But uh, I wouldn't take it personally if it's something very uh, uh, unique and obscure and my partner was... Well, if they're immediately not willing to do it, at least if they were reticent, uh, I would, again, have a adult discussion about that and consider all the variables of the relationship and uh, make a decision. But I doubt... No, actually, that, that situation probably does arise quite often. I don't think that should be a deal breaker. If you if you have a very niche sexual act, and I'm talking very niche, okay? Hey, I need you to be blindfolded, tied upside down, and suck my balls. Okay, that you can't get mad at someone if they're like, no, I don't want to do that. But if it's something like, hey, I really like doggy style, well then, you know, I think the partner should be able to compromise in that situation. So, depends on the act. Do you think our relationships fail more now due to social media slash apps? Yes. That's a pretty straightforward answer. I think we uh, have the illusion that there are a lot of options out there. We're also very narcissistic as a generation. I'm not settling for this. This is what I want in a partner. What are you willing to offer? That should be the question. And we're all very fickle and we ghost each other and look, I'm not immune to this. I've definitely done this and I, I regret a lot of it. And I think we've all got to try and be the change we want to see in the world. Uh, try and meet people in person. Well, if you're on the apps, also make the effort to go out to bars. And one, you're helping hospitality, which is an industry that has been decimated, but you shouldn't rely entirely on the apps and sliding into the DMs and all of this uh, digital courtship. So I think, yes, I... I, I, I 
you'd be hard pressed to say, no, the apps have improved our relationships. For some people who maybe are quite introverted, they've been good. And for people who maybe want a, a very particular preference when they date, so there, there are Christian dating apps, Muslim dating apps, I think that's a good thing. And apps are really only effective for people who live in urban areas. If you live in the country, if you live rurally, I, I, don't, I honestly don't know how you find a partner. At the hoedown, at the, at the honky-tonk, said that like such a boomer at the uh, honky tonk that's where these uh young'uns are getting laid okay uh all right well here's a question that's not uh sex sales related but i like this question do you have any thoughts on the current joe rogan controversy yes you can probably guess what my thoughts are i'm very passionate about it whoever neil young is i didn't even know who he was he's an idiot misinformation is a very strange word Joe Rogan is not a journalist. He's not having uh, guests on to speak with authority on a subject. Well, the guests are, but he's having conversations. He's exploring ideas. He's chatting to another human being. They're going to misstep. They're going to, you know, gather their thoughts and think differently about what they just said. That's the art of conversation. And all these mainstream journalists seem to have lost that because they live in their elitist bubble and they think it's their job to edify the population rather than to just inform them, and I am very much on team Joe Rogan. I'm one of the uh, toxic bros who love Joe Rogan and uh, all these 90-year-old artists saying, oh, yeah, misinformation, he's a meathead. They've almost certainly never listened to a Joe Rogan episode, and for people who maybe have uh, the opinion of, of Joe Rogan that he is a uh, he's a cage-fighting aficionado who... Uh, lacks critical thinking or uh, adequate intellect to inform millions of people, I strongly recommend you actually listen to an episode. Don't listen to his MMA show. Listen to an episode where he's had a philosopher on, where he's had a scientist on. I think you will uh, develop a very different opinion about him. So I'm definitely on Team Joe Rogan, and I'm glad Spotify is actually standing its ground. I hope it maintains that stance. Because the mainstream media is putting a lot of pressure on. And just in the last year, Netflix stuck to Dave Chappelle and Spotify sticking to Joe Rogan. This is this is great news for what could be called alter, alternate media. Because mainstream media, I mean, what's mainstream now? I think alternative media is the main... I'm the mainstream, okay? We are... Eliza and I are the mainstream. Married at first sight? No. Us. Okay, do you think there is merit to the slippery slope argument about sexuality and society? That's a very complex question, and I think I'd need an entire podcast to unpack something like that. Uh, When it's used in the context of, hey, if you let gay people get married, people will be marrying their dogs. No, I don't think that's a slippery slope argument. You can very clearly put in place the guidelines and the rules for gay marriage, which is two human beings are allowed to marry each other, that doesn't necessarily mean because you've, because you've allowed that in society, that doesn't mean those rules then need to be alleviated. But uh, what I will say is, is when you sort of culturally liberalise and go through the sexual revolution and then the preceding decades, yes, there is a sort of more, there's a less... Uh, Uh, restrictiveness and boundaries when it comes to just 
general sexual impulses and sexuality, and this is not, I'm not talking about alternative sexualities here, such as the LGBT community. I'm just talking about everyone in general, the casualization of sex and the dating market. And part of that is culture. Part of that is also, well, for-profit dating love content, apps and romantic comedies and fairy tales. These are all profit-seeking endeavors that aren't trying to uh, educate the populace on how to have a good, healthy relationship. It's about getting that dopamine hit and grabbing either your attention or your dollars. And after decades of that, sure, look at the dating market now. It's a, Many people would say it's a mess. So in that sense, you could, you could argue there's a slippery slope, but if we're talking about just the marriage argument, no, I don't think so. Um... Hmm, what have we got here? What has been the most useful and beneficial advice slash realization you've had about dating? Actually reading books, actually reading books on the subject, reading Esther Perel. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I was having issues with my girlfriend at the time and I read everyone's favorite, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and that really opened my eyes to acknowledge that this is a subject I have absolutely zero education on and it's such a significant part of our lives. So reading books, that, that's the advice. Well, that's the realization I've had about dating. I had no idea what I was doing. They don't teach you how to do it. They don't teach you how to have a healthy, proper relationship. And, you know, it's supposed to be molded by our parents, but our parents didn't even know half the time. So reading books on the subject. Have you ever hooked up with a fan? Yes. I mean, I, I know a lot of people cringe at that, but look, when you're the majority of my life is uh, sitting at home and then performing to people who know who I am. So the only time I get to socialize is with people who know me and fans. And half the time on apps, when I was single, the people matching me were people who knew me, at least, whether you want to call them a fan. Uh, so yeah, I'm fact, most of the people I've hooked up with are people who knew who I was. I mean, fan is a strong word. I don't know if they had posters of me or something like that. But that's why I'm very uh, perplexed about the whole oh, celebrities hitting on people who, who know them is creepy argument. What am I supposed to do then? So, yes. <laughs> oh. Some women act like the whole love yourself slash love your body doesn't apply to men. It's not really a question. But, yeah, look, this would be one where Eliza would probably have a, a different opinion to me or at least a stronger opinion on it. But uh, I, I'm going to assume the question you're uh, trying to get at there is, uh, are there double standards when it comes to body shaming women versus body shaming men? Yes, I think there are. The argument I'm assuming that would come back from women is that, hey, women are held to a much higher standard. Women face so much more pressure when it comes to their bodies. Therefore, uh, we are sort of evening out the power dynamics by body shaming men. We're punching up. Now, I don't agree with that general hypothesis. There is some truth to it. Uh, but I think if we want to live in a truly equal world, if we think body shaming is unethical, we shouldn't be doing it to either gender. However, body shaming is a complex thing because, for example, it's, uh, it's, it's an obvious scientific reality that being overweight is not good for your health. That doesn't mean you call people cows and you say that they're subhuman because they're overweight. But... 
You're not shaming someone by saying, hey, it's going to be better for you and your family and everyone around you if you lose weight. Having said that, some people prioritize uh, mental uh, their mental health as f- over their physical health, and the, you know you should be free to do that. But and I think most people who are overweight know that now, so continually reminding people is is useless. And there's studies that have actually shown when people who are overweight actually do feel shame and feel guilty about what they've done, they're less likely to want to lose weight. So as a placebo, if you do say things like, you're beautiful at every size, you're sexy, that actually is the best strategy to help them eventually gain the confidence to lose that weight. Complicated issue, uh, but uh, body shaming is a, is a strange thing. Okay. Do you think your race has impacted your dating life? If so, how? Absolutely. Uh, the studies have shown that if you are Asian, particularly if you're a male, you get far less matches on social media. You're perceived as less attractive, less masculine. And part of that is because, well, look, you, you have to admit genetically, East and Southeast Asian men are a bit smaller. And look, we all have to accept that being a bit smaller as a man, on average, is going to make you slightly less attractive. There are a myriad of factors at play, and this is not the male gaze. This is the statistics back this up. Uh, but uh, so there's just certain things that you can't control. But then the the progressive argument is also correct in that there are certain beauty standards in the sense that uh, leading men in in Hollywood and throughout and, and and in Western media are often white, and leading women and the sort of beautiful women are often white, and that does play a part. Uh, I also think a culture of arranged marriage across generations has altered the culture for uh, uh, men from the subcontinent to not have that in our consciousness, to not have the ability to, I suppose, court women, and maybe that comes with a lack of charm and, and sort of assertiveness to a degree without it being creepy when you're at the bar and things like that. Now, I think we did a podcast about... Uh, racial preferences in dating a while ago. So yes, I do think my race has probably impacted my uh, prospects in dating, but you, you shouldn't use that as an excuse to not at least try and get out there and better yourself. And now if you live in a big city in Australia, there's such a large diaspora for every ethnicity that you can probably just date quite a lot within your own community. Neil, can men be happy practicing monogamy when we're wired for polyamory? Yes, I think we're, I I agree that we are wired to not be monogamous, but I do now firmly believe we can be happy practicing monogamy. Because just because, just by restricting our natural impulses, that doesn't necessarily, that shouldn't be ameliorating our happiness. Happiness comes from meaning and purpose, and we have the capacity as human beings to aim for practices and for ideals beyond our reptilian nature. So in other aspects of life, we do this. Look, we're wired to just go and hunt and then sit there for a couple of days, eat berries and the meat and just do nothing. And I don't know, lie in the water and fuck each other. That's probably what we're wired to do. And, and we're wired to be violent. We're wired to want to kill each other. And be aggressive. So just because something is natural or just because we're wired to do something, it doesn't necessarily mean it is uh, the path to 
meaning, not necessarily happiness. Okay, look, if we're just talking about happiness, that's relative. That's uh, relative to your just your, your basic level of dopamine. And if you've, you know, if you're constantly hitting that, it's like a drug. You're not going to be happy unless you're watching porn every day or sleeping with a different girl every day. But as you slowly accustom yourself to a um, lower level of those immediate hits of dopamine, well, you can then be happy when you uh, sleep with your one partner, even if it is once a week. So it's all relative based on what we're accustomed to and what we're used used to. So I do definitely think you can be happy practicing monogamy. Okay. Some things that you do to cheer yourself up when you're feeling down. Meditation. Um, spending time with my girlfriend. Uh, listening to really cheesy pop songs from the early 2000s and the 90s. Um, patting my cat. Um, yeah, look, I'm jacking off. I don't know. Uh, a lot of things. Uh, yeah, sometimes having a drink with your, with your mates. Uh, all sorts of things. Gardening, gardening. So there's a mix of some wholesome ones there and some uh, not so wholesome ones. We'll say that. Okay, let's do two more. What's the one tip that will instantly make you better at sex, in brackets for men, heterosexual relationships? Well, (laughs) uh, all the women listening to this tell me if I've gotten this completely wrong. I think men, particularly young men, have to stop seeing sex as just the physical act of penetration and also... The lead up to that is part of the sex act because, and not just the foreplay, not not when you're just, you know, sucking on each other's private parts and doing other things. It's like even, you know, the time before that, you want to be developing intimacy. The sex starts, it's it's a longer journey, especially women, That at least that's my perception of it now. Uh, you know, you, you start... Whatever you do, if it's a one-night stand, you're sharing a a bottle of wine. And then when you talk to each other, you're developing an intimate connection there. And you can touch and tease each other, but without immediately going in to try to fuck someone. And that's where the sex actually starts. So if you you imagine it like that, I think. If if someone told me that when I was younger, I think it would have probably dramatically improved my sex life. Okay. Oh. This is an interesting one. So many of these would have been better if Eliza was here. Okay. I've gained a lot of weight during my pregnancy, like 15 kilograms. My husband still wants sex as much as always, but I feel so self-conscious. He can't possibly still find me sexy. Well, if he wants sex, he finds you sexy. You've got to accept that. You've got to start telling yourself, I'm sexy, I'm sexy. No matter, even if I'm pregnant, it doesn't matter. Your husband loves you. He thinks you're hot regardless. So uh, I know... If you don't feel sexy, it's probably hard to engage in in that act. But maybe if you uh, if if you talk to your husband or if your husband happens to be listening to this, rather than just saying, "Hey, I want to have sex with you," make her feel a bit sexy. So give her some time off. I don't know when someone's pregnant. I don't know how how to do that. But uh, just tell her, talk to her, uh, develop intimacy. And tease her, flirt with her, have fun with her, make her feel sexy. Tell well, I know this is the woman asking this, but have your husband try and make you feel. Uh, okay, 
Uh, oh, there's a second part to this question. Are men still attracted to their partners even when they look like, even when they look puffy like a potato? Yeah, of course, of course. If 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 a man's in love with someone and he's a loyal man, he's always going to be sexually attracted to that person. He's always going to want that because often that's our love language. That's how we show that we we care about you and we love you. So. I think from both perspectives there, the man really wants to still please you and he finds you very sexually attractive and wants to make love to you, but you may not feel so sexy. So work on that, work on the feeling of sexiness because I think I'm always an advocate for affirmations. <laughs> Tell yourself, hey, I'm sexy, I'm still beautiful, I'm, I'm, I'm hot, my husband wants, wants this. And then uh, still, again, have a space for intimacy, not necessarily getting straight into like, all right, this week, this time this week, we got to fuck. But like this time this week, we uh, prioritize our relationship and, ha- and, and prioritize intimacy. All right, I'll ask one, I'll answer one more. Uh, there's a few weird ones here, so I'm just scrolling through. Mm, mm, mm. love the podcast mate got any advice for direction in life in your early 20s stressed about career etc 20s is all about learning so it's normal to feel stress it's normal to just try things and then if you don't like it try something else so don't put so much pressure on yourself learn new skills don't just focus on your career Always make time for something else. You should have multiple purposes that are getting you through life. So if your career is your only purpose, I, look, there's some people who are just narrowly focused on something and want to give their entire life to that. But for the vast majority of people, sure, career is important. Most people have jobs, not careers. And then you need to find meaning and purpose somewhere else. So that could be with a relationship. That could be learning new skills, new hobbies, helping the community, um, having a, a part-time volunteer position somewhere else creating art i think that's a big one i'm gonna make a video about that soon especially for men i think write sing dance paint create some art tell your story so i would say try different things see what works for you um be passionate about your career give you know when i say don't it's not everything it doesn't mean you you're lazy about it It doesn't mean you don't put in the effort to be the best you possibly can be, but make sure you have multiple strings to your bow. All right, there were some uh, interesting questions there, a few that uh, I definitely felt relatively stumped on. But thank you for listening to that, me bumbling through some of those questions. Send some messages to Eliza on Instagram and come see me in Melbourne, come see me in Sydney, come see me in Newcastle. Some new shows on the horizon, Brisbane, hopefully soon, and maybe Western Sydney as well, hopefully soon. So stay tuned for that and share this podcast. Follow me on Instagram if you don't, because that's where I uh, ask all these wonderful questions. I'll see you next week. Next week, it'll either be me doing another AMA or Eliza will be back, but definitely in two weeks, Eliza will be back. Thanks, guys. See you next time.